Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. All right, so uh, I actually really enjoyed Pink's chapter in the book on this. This was like, it was really hard not to just read y'all the whole chapter because it was so good like all that he said about the goodness of God and what, what he mentioned. Um, but you've heard it talked about, and like I said, there's a, there's a popular song played on Caleb a lot about it, the goodness of God. And people tend to think of his goodness only in times when things that we want or that we think of as good are happening. Um, and I think that's kind of a weak way to see, really, the goodness of God. Um, when we only look at when times are good for us, then we talk about how God's good. And that, to me, is not, not how it should be. Because um, there's much more to the goodness of God than just when things are going good for us. Um, and I hope we understand that by the time we get through this teaching. Um, now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God. Psalm 31. We're going to read verse 19 of Psalm 31. Yep. Psalm 31, 19. It says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is inspired and inerrant and infallible. We can trust what it says above all things that we may hear with our ears. And God, we know that we can believe that the authority of your word is unquestioned because it is what you have spoken. God, we ask that you would remove the veil so that we may see who you are clearly revealed in these scriptures, God. Your attributes, your goodness revealed to us through, these, through this word. God, we ask that you would be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Holy Spirit, guide us through this teaching. Let us retain exactly what we hear here so that we can know exactly how good you are. And God, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we're looking at that, that verse, and it talks about how it's, his goodness is abundant. That uh, I don't know if you guys have ever thought of abundant in this way. But as, it's as if there's not a, um, a, a container to contain all of the goodness of God. It'd be like trying to bottle the Mississippi River in a single bottle. It's impossible, right? That would take a really big bottle. But his goodness is so abundant. His goodness is great. And we're fixing to dig into exactly how great it is. I want to first read you a quote from uh, from A.W. Pink in his book. 
people into the attributes of God. On page um, 57, it says, The goodness of God refers to the perfection of His nature. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. That is 1 John 1, 5. There is such an absolute perfection in God's nature and being that nothing is wanting to it or defective in it, and nothing can be added to it to make it better. I thought that was interesting, that God is so good that he couldn't possibly be made any better. That's how good he is. We couldn't add anything to who God is and make him better. He is as good as he could possibly be right now in himself. He is actual complete goodness in his very nature. It's complete. Thomas Manton said, and Pink quoted this in his book, he is originally good. Good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by participation and communication from God. He is essentially good. Not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is a super-added quality. In God, it is His essence. He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop. But in God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He is eternally and immutably good. For He cannot be less good than He is, and there can be no addition made to Him, so no subtraction from Him. So God is completely, fully, absolutely, nothing, not possible to change, absolute good. He is an ocean of good. That's what, he, he is absolute good. Pink makes the point that God is summum bonum. Summum bonum. Don't ask me how to spell it unless you want to. You can look at my notes afterwards. It is not English. Okay, Jesse? I don't think. <laughs> that means that God is the highest good. Was that in our book this week? Summum bonum? It's possible. Something like that. I haven't even read it. I don't so. Yeah, better catch up. Uh, so he is the absolute highest good. So someone bonum mean, would be good to the top, basically. The good is good. The good is good is great. So Pink also says some, another thing that really sticks out to me on page fifty-seven. When he said this, I immediately made a graphic of it and put it on Facebook because I thought, you know what? People need to hear this. God is not only the greatest of all beings, but the best. That stuck out to me so strongly. He's absolutely the greatest. We know that. He's our creator. Eternal. But He is the best. That means nobody better. Nothing better than God. He's not just the highest being. He is the one who is the most good. And there is none better. In fact, there is none that even comes close to our God. Now, 
the thing about the goodness of God is it flies in contrast to our society. It really does. If we think about it, I think we'll all agree on this. It flies into contrast to our society because we are so self-focused. We have to see everything from the lens of ourself. We see ourselves as good people. Christianity of today is even self-oriented. Everything from worship to the devotions we read to the books that we see in the Christian bookstores and in the Christian section of the other bookstores. Everything seems to be so focused on us, on self, living your best life now, how to attain your this or how to grab a hold of your that or what is God saying to you or the Bible doesn't tell me enough, therefore I need to read a book that, te- that a lady says is God given her more than the Bible because the Bible wasn't sufficient for her. Jesus calling, just so y'all know. We're supposed to be lifting up worship to the best. And instead, we twist everything to make it about us. How do, we, how do we see that? I mean, honestly, you know how we see that. If a church isn't catering to certain needs, that church isn't going to be a, a mega church, right? You don't have something where you pull the kid, all the kids out to give the parents their hour break on Sundays. Or if you don't have something that, that uh, has a lot, if you don't have a lot of events and a lot of free stuff given out, Right? So, we know that things get twisted about ourselves. Any goodness is what we need to understand. This is what we need to understand. Any goodness that's in us or in this world, period, is imparted to us from God. Nothing good exists outside of Him. From the beginning, He has created and declared what is actually good. And what is not good. In fact, he is good and does good. How can we prove that? Very simply, turn to, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 68. How can we prove that he is good and that he does good? Psalm 119, 68. You ready for this? You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. God is good and God does good. God is good because He is God. God does good because anything God does is good. And that judgment of whether what He does is good or not has nothing to do with how we decide it is or how we feel it is. It's all because He is God and He does good. So, God is good in all that comes from Him. Everything that comes from God is good. His decrees are good. His decrees are whatever He has said. Where do we see His decrees clearly written? In Scripture, 
All of His decrees are good. His creation. That's whatever He has made is good. Why? Because He made it. His laws are good. That's whatever He commands. And His providences are good. That's whatsoever He has ordained to happen. It's good because He's ordained it to be so. His goodness, really though, I think if we were going to begin at a foundational level for us and how we can understand His goodness, it starts with creation. Most things, most of our understanding of God and who He is, we can start a lot of it at creation and begin to see how it plays out for us and how we can truly understand what kind of God we serve. His goodness is first truly seen in creation. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 31. Genesis 1, 31. Pretty close to the beginning. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So everything he made, he said, it is very good. From the smallest thing to the largest thing, it was all good. From a single blade of grass to a mountain, it was all good. He has made us, as humans, exactly as we should be. We work in such an amazing way. Like our body systems are unbelievably complex. Just the eye, just your eyeball, is more complex than the most advanced robot or computer in the world. Just how it works is the most complex thing. You see, he's made us exactly how we should be. Everything in our entire world works exactly as He has designed it. We have ecosystems. Isn't it amazing that in an ecosystem, everything necessary for every piece of that ecosystem to live is contained in that ecosystem? Isn't that amazing? Food chains. Every animal has fuel. In a food chain. Every piece of a food chain exists. And what's so crazy about the food chain is it's almost like a food circle. Because when the, the top predator dies and decomposes, it becomes food for the plant that begins the cycle. It's exactly how God made it. Water systems. Like, you can go to, to, to canyons like Dismal's Canyons. I don't know how many of y'all have ever been. But if you walk through, there's, there's one place in Dismal's Canyons where there's like a kind of a gap in the rock. And water is coming through the rock. It's not coming over the top of it. It's actually coming through it. That water is being filtered. Which actually taught us, that's, that system itself taught us how to filter our water so we could drink it. And not get dysentery. That stuff works perfectly. Reproduction. We can all, every animal on earth and every human on earth, you know, as, as a group, multiplies through reproduction. It's built into us. 
So it's amazing that all life can be sustained perfectly <laughs> on earth. Why? Because God made it. And he said it was very good. And that is no matter what the global warming maniacs say, we're not going to destroy this whole planet because of driving an SUV, okay? So they can get over it. Why? Because God made it, and he said it was good. So guess who's sustaining it? Him, not us. Pink makes another great point, and I think this is awesome. Let's, you know, like, the things, like, I think sometimes we disconnect too far back from things. Let's dig in. Let's get even deeper. Like, God is so good that not only are we sustained, but we can actually enjoy things. Like, we can literally enjoy things. Like, we can taste wonderful food. We can taste it. It's not just we have to take some kind of thing to make ourselves be sustained. Like, the foods that we eat taste good, and we enjoy them. That's a goodness of God to us. We can hear music. We can see beautiful things in creation, like mountains and streams. We can smell flowers, like honeysuckles. We can touch soft little kitties and soft little babies. We can hold the hand. We can hold the hand of our significant other. We can feel those things. And, and this is all because of God's great goodness. He's just good. And He's given us that as something to enjoy. And another place that we see God's goodness is at the fall. You know, our um, original human mother and father, Adam and Eve, they, 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 took some, they took some tough licks being cast out of the garden and having to work by the sweat of their brow and having to have pain in childbirth. They did, didn't they? But even in the fall, we see God's goodness. How do we see God's goodness? Because he would have been well within his rights to immediately pour out his wrath and destroy Adam and Eve. He'd have been well within his rights. Why? Because he's God. He said, don't do one thing, and that's the one thing they did. So they committed cosmic treason. That's what R.C. Sproul called it, cosmic treason against God. But instead, he instituted a system of mercy and justice. So that now we can receive mercy. God truly shows his goodness in that there is mercy extended to all of us. And we know what that mercy is. That mercy is Christ. That mercy is that we don't instantly get killed and destroyed that first time we sin as a kid. And think of this, and this is something that hit me kind of hard and I had to think hard about because it seems like when we're in times that are difficult or full of sorrow or pain or, 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 or suffering, we feel that it is, it take, it, 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 it's the biggest thing and it lasts our whole lives. But God, even in a fallen state, even a person still in a fallen state, 
we generally experience many more days of happiness and joy than days of sorrow and pain. If we think about it. There's so many more days of joy than sorrow and pain. And I know some of you think, well, what about those people who battle, you know, you know, things like cystic fibrosis their entire lives, even as a kid, or they're born with that. If they're in Christ, when they die, that was a drop in the bucket to the massive amount of eternity that they have with Him. So all of, if we counted all of our days, especially us who are in Christ, there are so many more days of joy and happiness than there are sorrow. Now some would try to argue that God is not good simply because there is sorrow and suffering and evil in this world. You know, I think that sometimes I've been guilty myself of this in my life that we act as if we cannot experience any bad thing in our lives and still consider God as good. And it brings to mind Job's question. Can we only accept good from God? That's a hard question. We need to understand this. We were the ones who sinned against God. We sin against His mercy daily. We actually deserve nothing good. Yet, Christ died to save us and give us eternal life. So as we look at it, I would say that if we were honest, His goodness toward us far outweighs any evil or suffering that we may face in His will in our lives. And how do we most clearly see the goodness of God? What is the clearest example that any of us could possibly have of God's goodness? The, the clearest example to me of God's goodness and should be to you as well is through Christ. Christ is the clearest example that God is a good God. He is 100% the embodiment of the goodness of God. I want to turn to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. I want to read verses 3 through 7. Because I think it, it helps us to bring into perspective the goodness of God. And I want us to kind of hover here for just a little bit. Because I think there's a lot for us to see about His goodness. 1770-1770 for you in the Reformation Study Bible Condensed Version. Jesse, I'm sure that won't be your page. Huh? 2080. It says, Galatians 4, verses 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So in Christ, we go from slave 
to sin, to heir of God. That is an amazing transformation. We see in these verses the beauty of God's goodness. We see the glory of the gospel. You see, the gospel shows us clearly exactly how good God is. Let's look at the gospel. Let's take it step by step. We can see his goodness at every point. You see, God is the creator. He made everything. And how did he make it? He made it good. All that he made was very good. And because he was our creator, he had certain rights over us. And and one of those rights was to tell us, don't touch that tree, don't eat of that tree. And what happened? Adam and Eve ate of that tree. And because of that, man fell. And what is our state as man now? We're born in sin, born dead, in need of help because we have no way of earning our, our own salvation. Why? Because we are not good. God is good. So, what do we do? We need a mediator. We need help. We need Christ. And Christ was good. Christ came to this earth. He was good. He fulfilled every point of the law. He kept the law perfectly. And because he kept the law perfectly, he was a spotless lamb. And what had to what has to die in order for us to be re, in order for us to be saved? In order for our sins to be remitted? A spotless lamb. A good lamb. And who was that? Christ. Christ died, taking all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our all of our debt of sin upon Himself. And when He did, when He took our sin upon Himself, He bore the full punishment. And now, because He has done that, we have hope. We have access. But we have it one way, through Christ. So we have access to God's good only through Christ. And to me, we'd never see anything more clearly pointing to the goodness of God than if we look at the cross. When we see the very Son of God who came to die to save us. And that's it. There's absolutely no greater display of God's goodness than that. And even while we were God's enemies, He provided a way for us to be redeemed. Even while we were His enemies. See, even better, and this is, this is the best part about salvation to me, the fact that God Himself, He accomplished every part of our salvation. Because if we had to have a part in our salvation, we're not good. We would mess it up. But our God has accomplished every part of our salvation. Therefore, guess what? 
Our salvation is very good because God had every part of it. You see, He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to help help Him save us. He saves us. (coughs) And now, we can be saved by His grace alone. Now, the Greek word for grace, Pink points this out, it speaks of goodness and benevolence. That's what grace speaks of, a goodness and a benevolence. And these are attributes that are perfected in God alone. And here's the crazy thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Even if God had chosen not to save one single person, if He'd have said, over with and and burn, burn them all, right? Even if He had done that, guess what? He would still be good. Even if He chose... Not to save one. He would still be good. Because we're not deserving of his, of his salvation. Matthew twenty fifteen asks a question that <laughs> really I think we should all think of when we think of the, uh, of the idea of our own salvation and our deserving and our not deserving of it. Matthew twenty fifteen it says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? God could have chosen to do exactly what He wanted. And in His great mercy, He chose to shed forth the plan of redemption to save us. So, that brings us to our reaction to His goodness. Our reaction to His goodness is very clear. And, and if we're all honest, if we think of the goodness of God as it truly is, there's one reaction that's, that God is worthy of. And that's in Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. And it says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. So what is our reaction to God's goodness? What should it be? Gratitude. That should be our reaction to God's goodness. Gratitude. Thankfulness for what He has done for us. And here's the thing about those who are not grateful for His goodness. Those who are, who are not grateful for His goodness generally do so because His goodness draws us to repent. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. Y'all ever heard that? It's His goodness that leads us to repentance. Those that refuse to repent despise the goodness of God. They don't want to repent, so they despise the goodness of God. They assume 
that God is only good if He overlooks their sin. But we serve a good God. A good God who cannot overlook sin. He can't overlook it. Why? Because He's good. Sin is utter darkness. And in Him, there is no darkness. So He can't just overlook their sin. He wouldn't be good if He did that. He would be having fellowship with evil if He overlooked sin. And He can't do that. Why can't He do that? Because He is good. So, if we were to place our trust in something, I would say that our trust can be truly solid in His goodness if we're in Christ. What does the Bible say about all things? Whether they're evil or whether they're good, whether they're comfortable or uncomfortable, whether they seem right or they seem wrong to us, all things work together for our good. Right? If we're called according to His purpose. Why? Because He's good. And He's the one working out the purpose. And we can trust Him in that. I wanted to finish up with a Spurgeon quote about this very subject, about the goodness of God. He says, When others behave badly to us, it should only stir us up the more heartily to give thanks to the Lord, because He is good. And when we ourselves are conscious that we are far from being good, we should only the more reverently bless Him that He is good. We must never tolerate an instant's unbelief as to the goodness of the Lord. Whatever else may be questioned, this is absolutely certain, that Jehovah is good. His dispensations may vary, but His nature is always the same. So what is saying there? His dispensations vary. Yes, sometimes for us it's hard. Sometimes for us it's easy. Sometimes for us it's difficult. Sometimes for us we see great things. Sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it feels terrible. Sometimes life gives us lemons and sometimes life gives us dollar bills. That's just how it's going to be. But his dispensations, though they vary, the fact that he is good will never change. And he will always be good because he is good. He defines good. There's no good outside of him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy towards us sinners. We're undeserving of anything, but God, you have chosen in your infinite mercy to give us Christ, that we may be set free from this terrible curse of sin, that we may be brought to a place of freedom and peace, knowing that the judgment for sin has been finished. It has been done, and now... We walk in newness of life because of what Christ has done for us. God, help us to not 
spend a moment of our lives questioning your goodness, but to know that you are good and that no matter what we face, you always have the best for us who are in Christ, that all things are working together for our good. God, right now, convince us of that. God, we know that we can see it everywhere that your word speaks of you. It shows your goodness. And God, we just pray upon your mercies and your grace that you've shed forth for us. God, we pray right now for those who don't know you, for those who don't have your mercy upon their lives, who have have rejected that way, who have refused to repent, who may despise your mercy and your goodness. God, we pray that they be cut to the heart, that they may not be able to take another step unless they repent and trust in Christ for the salvation of their souls. God, have mercy upon them. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Cling to Him, for He is the only chance that you have to get out of this. God, we thank you. Bless each family here. Help us to to live a life that pleases you. Forgive us when we fail you. Help us to see our particular sins and let us repent as we should. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.